Pray with me, Father in heaven, now we come to wait upon you, to listen to you, to hear. That we may hear that which is true, that would readjust, realign our whole lives. So, Father, be with us now. Speak to us clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Turn to Habakkuk in chapter 1. I want to read a different portion that I've put in the bulletin, so... I'm just going to begin again with verse 1 and read through verse 6 and then pick up in verse 12 and read through chapter 2 and verse 4. Back, please, in chapter 1. Hear the word of God. And, and I'm going to kind of intersperse some, some background here as we read through this. I shared a lot of it last Sunday, but just to kind of catch us up. As we read through this prophet, sometimes it's difficult to hear a whole text and really follow it. So I'm going to, um, again, just annotate a bit as we go. Um, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. Now you remember that Habakkuk is a prophet in Judah. He's writing about 600-ish B.C. So about 2,600 years ago. 2,600 B.C., I mean 600 B.C., he's, he's writing. He's a prophet in Judah. A prophet meaning he has this sense of burden that's on him because of what he's seen and he needs to get it out. He needs to share it. It's a weight he's carrying and he needs to get it out. He's going to begin talking with God, interestingly, which makes Habakkuk a little bit different prophet than some who directly speak to the people. God will speak through him, but as we know, mostly through the transformation that takes place in his life between chapter 1 and chapter 3. So that's what we're looking at. It's almost, in a sense, what we'll see here is a prophetic psalm. It's something that's working in this prophet. But he's writing from Judah about 600 BC. You remember that ancient Israel was very important in the plan of God. Very important for his creation. Very important as he would reveal uh, what God would do in the context of the life of his people. He made promises to a man named Abraham. Abraham had uh, sons, Isaac and Jacob. Jacob, you remember, had 12 sons from whom we get, in some general sense, the 12 tribes of Israel. And you remember those tribes had kings, beginning with Saul, then David, then Solomon. You remember that after King Solomon, the nation of Israel split into the northern kingdoms, the ten tribes to the north, and the southern kingdoms, the two tribes to the south. In the northern kingdom, there was apostasy that happened so that by 722 B.C., about 120, 125 years before... Remember, we're doing B.C. stuff, so we're going from big to small in terms of numbers. Always is confusing. Um... But it would be more confusing if I just arbitrarily renumbered time. Uh, so uh, from about 120, 125 years before Habakkuk wrote, the northern kingdom was destroyed by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom, as you might remember from last week as we talked, and you may just know from your Bible study, uh, the southern kingdom had a few revivals and some hope, it seemed, but it would appear by what we'll read concerning Habakkuk and what we know happened soon after, that the Babylonians, the Chaldeans are coming, and so beginning in 597 B.C., not too far from this moment when Habakkuk's writing, the siege will begin against Jerusalem. By 586, it'll be complete, and so the people will be exiled and the walls will be destroyed and the temple will be destroyed and all of that. So that's coming shortly as Habakkuk knows and that's what's confusing him as God will speak 
to him. But Habakkuk had seen, Habakkuk had seen a revival in, in Judah through the king, good king Josiah. And Josiah, you remember, was, 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 uh, did away with all of the bad and evil and pagan practices of his father Manasseh, who was king before him. And he restored um, truth in, in Judah. In refurbishing the temple, Josiah found the book of the law and implemented it into the life of the people. But after King Josiah was killed in a battle with the Egyptians, his son Jehoiakim became king and he reinstituted all of the evil practices of his grandfather. And so that's the time in which Habakkuk writes. And so he writes post-revival in Judah, now seeing that everything is reverting back to the way it was under the bad kings. And so this is how he's, this is what he sees. So Verse 1, that was a bit of a long annotation there. But the oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, he begins with, with if you've got an ESV or most Bibles, will have a little heading there entitled Habakkuk's Complaint. This is what he's bringing before God. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear. So he gets a sense. He's clearly, the prophet's been, been praying, been interceding. Uh, on behalf of the people, but been praying to God that he will come and do something about the conditions in, in Judah. No doubt praying for revival like it happened under King Josiah. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity and why do you idly look at wrong? A destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Essentially saying, God, every time I look at my people and see what's happening here, I realize it's completely contrary to, to you and your law and how it is that you've that, 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 into your very heart, your very being. And I don't get it. I don't know why you're not speaking. I don't know why you're not acting. So that's what Habakkuk is saying, then God answers, and I just want to read verses 5 and 6. So God answers, and again, in prophetic literature, just always beware that the speaker can change almost at will. And so as you're reading through prophetic literature, you find, oh, wait a minute, I thought Habakkuk was talking. This sounds like God. Well, it probably is. It's just the way it was written, and it's not like it would be nicer if it was written in a play kind of form where it would have the speaker's name with a little colon. It doesn't have that. You kind of have to pick that up from the context. So clearly God now is speaking in verse 5. He says, God says, look among the nations and see wonder and be astounded, for I'm doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. And so he's saying to Habakkuk, listen, I know what I've revealed, my revealed will to you by my precepts and how it is that I am. But, but there's a secret will here. There's something going on that I haven't told you about. It's consistent with who I am, but I haven't told you about it. You just don't know about it. In fact, if I told you, you'd go, huh? Which is about what Habakkuk's going to do. Verse 6, he tells him, For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that's another name for them in the scripture. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. That would have sent chills into Habakkuk's spine, as you might remember. Um, it would be like telling uh, the Jews that the Nazis were coming, kind of thing. I mean, it was that kind of thing. The Chaldeans were ruthless, they were arrogant, they were strong and powerful, and they were making their way through the, through the known world, if you will, will, at that point in time. So Habakkuk would be thinking, oh no. But he would also be thinking, this ruthless people is a godless people. 
So how is it that God can be using this godless people, this ruthless people, to come against us? So then in verse 12, after he rehearses what he knows to be true about the Babylonians, in verse 12, um, Habakkuk begins to think. And he begins to think about God in the, in, in the situation in which he finds himself in the context of God. Notice verse 12. He speaks of God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? And then thinking about that, he, he catches himself up and he says sort of, therefore, the therefore isn't in there, but he, he brings this conclusion, we shall not die. O Lord, You've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O rock, have established them for reproof. He's he's kind of getting it. He's saying, okay, you're using them to discipline us. I get this. But but then in verse 13, it's as if he, he kind of catches himself thinking that thought and begins to think of God again. And he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So, so Habakkuk's got this really nice relative comparison going on. And he's saying, I know we're really bad and I know I've been complaining about us, but they're way worse than we are. So how can you use them to come against us and then he begins to lament really beginning in verse 14 saying this he says you make mankind like the fish of the sea like crawling things that have no ruler he brings all of them up with a hook he drags them out with his net he gathers them in his dragnet so he rejoices and is glad in other words Habakkuk saying what are we just like fish to the Babylonians I mean if you made us just so that they can throw their nets in and reel us in and throw us out and you know that is that is that who we really are Uh, Then verse 16, therefore he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, speaking of the Babylonians, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? She says, okay, God, I understand. I get a sense of understanding about what you're doing. You're using them to discipline us, to punish us, and we deserve it. But God. They're way worse than we are. And are you going to let this continue? Are you going to let the Babylonians just have at the whole world? Because if you do, sort of in Habakkuk's mind has to be, if you do, what about all the promises to us? What about all the promises to Abraham? What's really going on here, God? So then chapter 2, verse 1. Habakkuk then continues to say, I will take my stand at my watch post, and I will station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, that is to say, what God will say to me. And, and then he says, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. In other words, after God speaks to me, I'm, I'm getting my answer ready. Like many of us, he's not so much thinking about God, what God might say, he's thinking about what he's going to answer when God does indeed say. So we trust he'll catch up. Verse 2, and the Lord answered me, write the vision... Make it plain on tablets so that he may run who reads it. In other words, he's saying, write this down, put it on the tablets, send it out with a herald, some some runner, so that all the people will know what I'm going to say to you. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God says, listen, I'm, I'm active. I'm working. There's something going on here. Just isn't time yet for you to see it all. Verse 4. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not right within him. Speaking of the Babylonians. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Now, 
That verse 4, especially that second line in verse 4, but the righteous shall live by his faith, is the hinge of this whole prophecy. Hinge in the sense that it, it opens everything up. It's the pivot, if you will, we could say too. Everything turns on it. This is the key of, of this whole word to Habakkuk, through Habakkuk, to us, that the righteous will live by his faith. That's the point, really, saying, Habakkuk, trust me. Habakkuk, believe. Now, we noticed last Sunday, just in, in opening this up, that, that one point that will help Habakkuk in his faith is first to know from verse 6 that God is at working. It is working. He's raising up the Babylonians. Now, that meaning that he's not inactive, that he's not idly by just sitting and watching. Now, it confuses Habakkuk how he can use the Babylonians, but at least he's saying, trust me, I am doing something. I, I'm not just sitting idly by. And I'm not silent. There's a plan here uh, from chapter 2 and verse uh, 3. There's a plan here, and you'll see it in due time. So that kind of sense of, of Habakkuk, uh, of God speaking to Habakkuk and telling him that he really isn't sitting idly by, he's not being silent, he really is, is acting. But this week it's important for us, I think, to see this in the context of what Habakkuk is speaking about. Because it's very personal to us. We live in the same kind of perplexity, don't we? Don't you wonder what God is doing when you turn on the news? Don't you wonder what God is doing when you read the newspaper? Even in the context of our own body, in the context of our own lives, we we pray for people to be healed and they're not, and we wonder why. Uh, We understand his difficulty with the unrighteous seemingly being blessed and powerful and working through and playing through when the unrighteous may well not be as blessed, remember from Psalm 73 that we read last Sunday, the psalmist said, my feet almost slipped, I almost lost my faith, if you will, because I saw the unrighteous being blessed while the righteous were struggling, and, and I don't understand that. I don't see how that is. Perhaps some of you have been up for a promotion, and you've prayed about that, and you thought you were the right one for that job, and yet someone else who actually mocks believers got the position, and you say, God, how could you bless them like that and not bless me like that? How can you do that kind of thing? Uh, we wonder about that. Uh, how can that? How can that be? And then we look at the bigger picture, just as Habakkuk was looking at the bigger picture and saying, "How is it that unrighteousness can seem to to prosper in our day and prosper in our land? How can that be, God? How long is it going to be until you really deal with this? Till you bring judgment here? As, even as we." read through the book of Revelation as we see the saints who were martyred who were sitting there at the altar crying out to God how long oh Lord how long are you going to let this go on we're, we're seeing what's going on in the context of, of the world and it isn't the way you claim it's going to be so how long is it going to be like this and there's trouble that perplexes us that confuses us uh, for some a disease may be diagnosed early For others, it may be misdiagnosed. How can that be? All among those who are praying that things go well. We look at the economy in which we live right now and we're all bewildered. Those who have been good stewards of their money and saved as they believe God had led them to save have found much of retirement simply to have evaporated it appears before their very eyes. Uh, 
God, how, why? I thought I was doing it the right way. I took a course. was taught by Christians. They said, do it this way. I've done it this way. And now, whoa, how can this be? And we share the same perplexity of the, of the prophet. And so what I want us to do today is just, again, take a step and, and look at how Habakkuk handles this. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a preacher oh, in London between the 1940s and the 1960s, uh, noted four points, four steps that Habakkuk went through that I think are very, very helpful for us in the context of life when life becomes confusing. And, and what's valuable here is that this comes not from Martin Lloyd-Jones. It doesn't come from me. It doesn't come from some theoretician. It doesn't come from a psychologist or a philosopher. It comes from the scriptures. It comes from Habakkuk. The great thing about having the word of God is that it, it, it isn't guesswork. It isn't, well, is this really the way we should approach life? Is this really the way we should analyze life? We read good Christian biographies, and I, I must confess, as after I read them, I say, that was really good, but I'm not sure it was right. <laughs> I mean, it was really good, but, but unless it was founded and based upon the scripture, I don't have a great deal of confidence necessarily that I should model my life after that. You've got to show me from the text. And so here, Habakkuk is this prophet who's living this out, this confusion, and God preserved it for us. We listen to it and we say, okay, that's a pattern for life. Four points, just very quickly. I know I'm usually not into points, so let me give you the points just in case I forget them. Uh, but Lloyd-Jones noticed this. He said, first, beginning in verse 12, Habakkuk began to, to think through the situation in the context of God, to think through the situation. It wasn't that he was, wasn't thinking before. He certainly was, but, but, but he began to think about the situation more clearly, at least, in the context of God. So the second point is, what he did was he began to restate the basic things that he knew to be true about God. He began to restate the basic truths, the basic principles about God. And then thirdly, he, he, he applied them. He thought, how do these apply in my present situations? And then fourthly, he waited. And I think there's something there for us in the context of being perplexed, living under God, living as a company of his people together. First, this, he, he began to think, uh, Habakkuk did, uh, about God. Very, very often, we talk. That, that's often our first response when things start hitting the fan. We begin to talk. We begin to talk all about it. And yet perhaps we should stop perhaps and listen. We know what James says to us about all of that. In James, uh, in chapter 1, he talks to us about, about listening. Uh, James starts his epistle by speaking about difficulty, speaking about trials taking place in our lives. And, and you know the classic verses as James opens. He says, count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, but count it all joy when you experience various trials. Now that seems rather ludicrous. But he says, listen, trials come. As believers, we can consider those trials joy. Now that's an act of faith. It isn't something that we see immediately because with these trials can be great uncertainty, great pain, and induce tremendous fear. But he says, I want you in the midst of all of that to understand that this is meant for your good. Therefore, we can approach these things with a pilot light within us that's joy. It's really there. Not despair, but joy. Even though it's confusing, joy in the midst of that. And he says, here's why. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith 
produces steadfastness. He said, there's something good that comes from this. Your faith will be tested in the midst of this trial. That's what a trial is. It's a test. It's a test of faith, really. And God intends it not to drag you down. God intends it not to destroy you. But God intends it so that you can actually have hope. And he says, what this trial is intended by God to do and will do in the life of a believer is to produce faithfulness, that is, steadfastness. And this steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He says the end result of this is you're going to be able to realize that since you belong to God, you have everything that you need. And he'll prove that to you in the midst of these trials. Hang on, count this joy. And you say, but I don't get that. He says, all right, then ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. Trust in God. We'll give you wisdom. His wisdom, not your wisdom. His wisdom. By the way, he'll tell you to count it joy. But, but because that's his wisdom. In the midst of this. And so James produces and, and goes on through uh, how it is that, that, that we can understand these trials in light of God. But then in verse 19 of chapter 1, James says this, Know this, my beloved brothers, that every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Most parents memorize that verse, speak it to their children all the time. Utterly out of context, but it works. Um, uh, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What are we to listen to? We're to listen to that implanted word. Now, this isn't some fuzzy, ethereal kind of new age, postmodern thing that we're all gods and therefore we need to listen to the, to the God that's within us. That's not what he's talking about at all. He's talking about the very word of God. Peter puts it like this in 1 Peter in chapter 1, in verse 23. He says, since you've been born again, not of imperishable seed, I'm sorry, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of, of grass. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He's saying, listen, it's this word of God that's been implanted in you. Listen to that word of God. I know what you see, and I know what you see can make you angry. I even know what you hear from God can sometimes make you angry. Put away all the filthiness and all the wickedness and all of that and trust him and listen to this word of God that is within you. Bring all of this into the context of God. And you get the sense that that's what Habakkuk does as we come back here to verse 12. He begins to, to rehearse, to review, to restate that which is true about God. He says, are you not from everlasting? He says, wait a minute. Let me get a fix on you, God, who you are. You're from everlasting. Wait a minute. The Babylonians aren't from everlasting. Okay, the, I, I got the Babylonians. They're coming. But, 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 but you're from everlasting, which means you have no beginning and no end, which means you were here before the Babylonians. You're going to be here after the Babylonians. And all of your promises, therefore, are fulfilled, not, not just in this immediate context, but over time. And all right, I'm beginning to see this in the bigger picture. I'm beginning to see this in the context of God who is everlasting. Um, Moses, interestingly enough, writes in Psalm number 90. 
a psalm of Moses. Verse 1, he says, Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And so again, as we've said so many times, it's, it's about perspective. It's where we put our eyes. And Habakkuk's beginning to see God as he really, really is way bigger than he once had contemplated as he saw the situation before him. God, you're from everlasting. And then he says, O Lord, my God, my Holy One. He recognizes that God is holy, that, that everything about God is holy and pure. God is holy inside. God is holy outside, if you will. God is holy inside in his thoughts, in his desires, in his will. Everything about him is pure. Everything about him is good. And therefore, everything that he does is good. And so Habakkuk is, is thinking, I, I don't get the Babylonians coming. I don't know how God can do that. But wait a minute. Let me think. God is huge. God is big. God is everlasting. He has a plan. He's seen it from beginning to end. He knows how this is going to all work out because he's ordained how it's all going to work out. He's from everlasting and he's holy. Therefore, I will trust that everything that God is doing will result in good because of who he is. And you see, this isn't a leap of faith, nor is this blind faith, nor is this as one defined faith once as believing what no one in the right mind would believe. It isn't that at all. Because it goes on in that very sentence, having said, O oh Lord, my God, my Holy One. Now, in most of our translations, the word Lord would be in all caps. The reason that it's in all caps is because that's a reference back to the name that God gave of himself to Moses in Exodus in chapter 3. When Moses was going called by God to go and deliver the people out of Egypt, God, uh, Moses said to God, Well, what name do I use? Who shall I say has sent me? Moses knew that if he went in his own name, if he just went and said, hey, Moses, I want you to come out, uh, they wouldn't be too, too helpful. But he wanted the name of this one who had called him. And God says, my name is I Am. Now, that is great meaning, obviously, because it's simply the word to be, the verb to be in Hebrew, meaning God saying, I exist. I've always existed. I always will exist. I am, I was, I am, I will be, I am. I'm self-dependent, I'm self-existence, I'm self-sufficient, I depend on no one. I'm God, creator, sovereign over all that is. But what's significant here is the my part. Because it shows that Habakkuk got the meaning of that name, really. Because that was the name that God gave to Moses to say, tell my people who I am. This is my, my covenant name to them. This is my special name for them, to them of, of who I am. This is how they should call me. This is how they should know me. That I am sovereign God who delivers them. And this is how they shall call upon me. And I'm the God upon whom they call. I'm the covenant God. I will keep my promises with him. And Habakkuk goes, well, wait a minute. I, I know something about God from personal experience. I know something about God from the personal experience my people have had with him. I, I know something about God because of his revelation to us. He is our God. We can trust him. Therefore, even though I don't understand exactly what I'm seeing here, I can trust in him. So then he says, we shall not die. <laughs> And that was bigger than 
simply saying any one of us or even any generation of us won't die. But he's saying, I understand, all of Judah will not be killed off by the Babylonians. Because God has made promises and he's from everlasting and he sees it from the beginning to the end. He's the Holy One. Everything that he says is, and does is good. Therefore, his promises will be fulfilled. And we know this because he's my Lord. He's the very one who has delivered us. He's proven himself to us. He's shown himself to us as being faithful. Therefore, I don't understand all that I see, but I'll trust him. Therefore, we won't die. Then he goes on, oh Lord, I get it. You've ordained them as a judgment. And you, O Lord, O rock, he's saying, you're the stable one. O rock, you've established them for reproof. He says, okay, I understand. Now, he's still confused. Verse 13, he still doesn't get how God can use the Babylonians. But he's, he's come a long way in the midst of this in terms of living by faith. And how did he get there? He began to think. And then he began to restate everything that he knew that was true about God. You know that if you're walking on an icy sidewalk, that you shouldn't look at the ice? You know what you should look at? The parts that aren't icy. Why? So you can put your foot there. Um, If all you're doing is looking at the ice, you're going to slip and fall. But you've got to look at the places where there isn't ice. And so Habakkuk stops looking at the scene in front of him and begins to look at God. I was learning to drive. My dad was teaching me. Bless him. I owe him still. Although I paid my dues as well, sort of as a generational thing. But um, um, he would say, if you're, if you're driving into a tight spot and you know the car can fit, make sure you're looking and come as close to what you can see as possible. What you, as close to what you know is true as possible. And then you trust, because you've measured it, you trust that the rest of the car will get in there. That's worked most of the time. Uh, again, Habakkuk's doing the same thing. He, he's, he's lining up as close to what he knows to be true, not what he sees, but what he knows to be true about God. And he says, okay, this is true. This I don't get, but, but, but I, can, I can pull the rest in, knowing what I know to be true about God. That's why this morning are saying the Apostles' Creed or some affirmation of faith on Sunday mornings as we come together is crucial. What it's doing for us is it's context of our worship. It's enabling, enabling us to restate the basic principles that we believe to be true about God. That's why Sundays are a renewal time. That's why we stress them. We come together in corporate worship, different than individual worship. It's this time set apart by God where we come together. And, and what do we do? We take our lives... And we put them in the context of God. We take our lives and, and we, 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 we begin to think about all the things that are, that's confusing us and all the things that are tempting us and all the things that are trying to draw us away from God. And we put all of that in the context of God. And so we begin with a call to worship and we, we invoke his presence. We know that he's here. And, and, and then sooner or later, we spend a moment just saying things that are true about God. We, we sing them and we say them. Why? Because we need to hear them. He likes it, God does. But we need to hear that. We need to ground ourselves in things. When stuff goes wrong in your life, what do you do? Let me encourage you that when tragedy strikes, when things that you don't understand about life begin to hit you, it's not a bad thing to stop and say, I believe in God, Father Almighty. Maker of heaven and earth. And his only son. 
He was conceived by the Virgin Mary, or by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose again. Think about that. It kind of puts everything in perspective. When my kids were little and, and, they, and something would happen, uh, I would always go to them and say, okay, where's God? You know, and they'd look at me, Dad, that's silly. I'm looking for my truck <laughs> or whatever would be tragic in their lives at the moment. But where's God? Let's think about that for a minute before we get all upset here. Oh, he's in heaven. That's good. Is he ruling and reigning? Yes. Oh, that's good too. Uh, where's Jesus? Well, he lives within me by the Holy Spirit. What did he do? We begin to go through this little ritual and, and it appeared as if I'm simply trying to distract them, but I'm not trying to distract them. I'm trying to, to put that moment in their lives, that slice of their life, in the context of all that is really true that's so easy for us to miss at any moment in time. For Habakkuk, he was missing it. For Habakkuk, he wasn't seeing it. God even said, even if I tell you, you're not going to get it. So how is it that we're to live? God says live by faith. How do we do that? We need to think. We need to bring the moment into the context of the whole of God and who he is and think through him. And then we need to apply that. And so Habakkuk does. He says we won't die. Okay, I get it. If God is God, even though I don't understand, we're not going to be wiped out. The promises of Abraham are still going to be fulfilled. God is from everlasting to everlasting, beginning to end. He's going to be here. He's here before. He's going to be here after. He's holy. Everything is good. He's our rock. We can stay on him. Even when the Babylonians come, we can grab a hold of God and I'll trust that good will come from this. I'll trust that all of his promises really will be fulfilled ultimately. And then Habakkuk does something that's very interesting. He says he's going to build a tower. My suspicion is that's figurative. I don't know if he built an actual tower or not. It's really not that important. It would be cool if he did. But he says in verse 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me. He's going to wait upon God. So I'm going to watch. Now this whole idea of waiting upon God, especially in the Old Testament context, is, 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 is a very important one because, yes, there's a time element in it, a lo- but, you know, a tarrying, but it also means that if I'm going to wait upon God, I, I must be hoping in him. I must be trusting in him. I must be expecting something that he is going to do. And so I, I look and I watch expectantly for the good that is to come. I look and I watch expectantly to see God's word be fulfilled in the context of, of my life. I read this morning in our call to worship from Isaiah in chapter 40, a text that's very familiar. Uses a little uses a different word for wait than what Habakkuk uses in his prophecy. But it's a similar idea. Have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He doesn't faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait For the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Why does waiting produce strength? Because it's a waiting upon the Lord. Waiting on the Lord doesn't mean we're just sitting there twiddling our thumbs. Waiting on the Lord means that we're sitting there thinking upon him. Trusting in him. Saying, I know that he's going to show himself faithful 
in this situation some way, somehow, and I'm here looking expectantly for that. And it's that very hope that springs in us this strength. James said, count it joy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is our strength. Because it's the joy that comes from hope. It's that hope that comes from knowing who he is. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. There is a sense, though, of time in all of this that we must pay attention to. God said, this isn't time for this to be this vision to be fully seen. It isn't time yet. It will be in some decade or so from this time they'll see it. But even the longer outplaying of it might take more time. Americans are noteworthy for being impatient. We want everything yesterday. We really do. Um, making pancakes yesterday and flipped one too soon just wasn't ready to wait for those bubbles to chill themselves and it was messy and that's the way life is in the context of being impatient we were impatient people and God says no I want you to wait on me there is nothing that would be gharmony.com g for God where God sends out a little DVD and he says, Hi, my name's God. I'm into righteousness and holiness and I'm available Fridays from 1 to 3. Uh, it's just not like that, getting to know him. It's very different than that. It's, it's life knowing him. Sorry. It's life knowing him. And it takes time. And we have to wait and not jump ahead. We have to wait and trust. We have to wait in hope this prophet Habakkuk saw that which he said this is utterly inconsistent with God how long God is this going to take and he began to think about God his attributes his character he put everything that he saw in submission to that he let his understanding of God rule the day and then he could say all right i'll wait let's pray father i pray for me and for us that we could be as our brother habakkuk um, father give us good thinking about you thus give us good learning about you May we be a people that studies the scripture. May we be a people who lives it out so that this word would be implanted in us and we would listen to it. And regardless of what we see, that it would rule the day, this word of God, and that we would have hope. Father, have us be a people unashamed of the truth so that we can recite it to ourselves and to others that we might be aware of it and live upon it. Father, I pray this most especially for those who are in immediate suffering, suffering at this moment. Uh, we pray for uh, Dean, Barnum and, uh, Dean Barnum's uh, daughter with a brain tumor. Father, we pray for her and his family, her family. 
that you would be with them at this time. Pray for Fred Thomas and his family concerning his dad, for the Grubb family concerning their little granddaughter Holly, uh, for the White family concerning Caden's situation, uh, for the Huffmans concerning Eileen, uh, even for the Moore family this morning. We find that Kevin um, injured his hip in a fall and is having surgery this morning. We pray for them. And for others, Father, who are in deep suffering, we pray um, that each would see circumstances in light of who you are and to wait for you to trust. Father, I pray for the Family Promise Network as it begins uh, this week at First Christian Church. I pray, God, that those who are uh, being housed will be also helped. And, God, that we will see you at work in the lives of people. And that many would come to you because of this new ministry and would give you thanks. Father, for those who do ministry uh, from our church, those we support, we pray for them. For Leanne, Father, we thank you that she's here uh, with us. And uh, we pray for the time tonight. But we pray, God, for her work and her life and her ministry. um, That you would bless her in the richest and deepest sense of that word. That she would uh, trust you. For Sean and Katie Stetson and Lauren Kish at um, KU with Campus Crusade, we pray for them as well, that your blessing would be upon them. Father, help us, I pray, in this building uh, endeavor. Uh, Again, uh, I've been confused by the economic situation as we feel so led to pursue this building. And thus, we trust in you. We wait to see Uh, you at work and good to come and father as a church we continue to pray your um, grace upon us that we can live in such a way that would draw people to Christ and thus we pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus and for his sake amen let me ask you please to stand for the benediction as you do I uh, remind you of our Sunday school classes happening uh after this service, as well as um, our time together on Wednesday night. Our response to the benediction is to, to sing together. Therefore, please receive this as God's benediction. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine through his power that is at work within us, to be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus both now and forevermore. And together let us sing. All of you is more than enough for